Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You know, I don't know, some, some of you might not have had to process through that, and I know for sure some of you deal with those kinds of thoughts still. And that is, if something bad happens in your circumstances, you start to question yourself and your God of why it's happening. Like you're trying to read the circumstances of your life to understand the will of God. You know, you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like we're, we're like tarot card readers or rune throwers with the circumstances in our lives. We look at this external, subjective, you know, obscure source of information to try to tell us the will of God. It's like, well, this happened, so God must be trying to do this. That is actually the least sure way to determine the will of God. Looking at something that happened bad in your life and trying to figure out what God's trying to teach you, I mean, it's like you can't really get more carnal than that. Carnal meaning you're looking to something physical to understand something spiritual. Stop that. I'm telling you, you know the will of God as evidenced in the life of Jesus. That's the will of God. The will of God is what Jesus displayed to us, what he showed us about God, what he prayed. Now, if you do a study on the will of God, you certainly see in there that it says, you know, abstain from drunkenness, that your disgrace should teach you to live holy. The grace teaches you to live that way. Certainly, the will of God includes, it's multifaceted, but it's not circumstantial in that you're not getting it spiritually, so he's going to make this happen or take this thing away from you because he needs you to develop in this area. That's not how he works. He works on your heart. He works from the inside with his truth, with his word, with his spirit, with his life, his light, and his love. Those are his agents of change. They just are. He's a spirit, and that's how he's going to work. And, it, it, you know, people get their nose bent out of shape about that kind of thing, and it's like they, people get upset at me when I say these kinds of things sometimes because it's like, well, but this happened, and when this happened in my life, when I got cancer or when this happened to my grandmother, I went, it made me more thankful. It made me, I'm like, well, I hope, that's the resp- I hope that's where you went with it. You know what I mean? Like, I hope that loss in your life did work to get your heart where you made an internal decision to trust God. But don't you for one second think God crafted that to produce that change within you. You are complete in him. It is not your tribulations and your difficulties that make you complete. It is the spirit of the living God dwelling within you. Amen? I'm telling you, it's a big deal. It's it's a shift of how you think God works in your life and the character of God. Because what's at stake is the character of God. You know, it's why so many people... I love watching, I'll jump on YouTube, and I love watching the debates between anti-theists and, you know, somebody that's really well-versed in uh, apologetics that can kind of defend the faith, you know. 
One of my favorites is Christopher Hitchens. You know, he's, he's one of the new atheists. You guys, anybody know who Christopher Hitchens is? You know, he's, 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 he will say the most awful things about God, but you can't help but like the guy. It's just really weird, you know. He's a very personable person, and, but he makes you think, you know. The things that he comes up with about God, it makes you think. But if you go back to understanding God through Christ, not circumstance, then you see where they miss because all of those guys, it doesn't matter. At some point, the conversation comes down to this. Well, the God that you say you believe in is a genocidal, maniacal maniac, you know, that is just into killing hundreds and thousands of people and letting babies starve. And, and so what they do then is they start judging God based on the condition of the world. And that's a lot of what's anchored in their soul of why they want, they will not believe in God. Because they look at physicality to judge the character of God. And there's a lot of, there's some theological points in there you have to address. God gave mankind dominion over this planet. The world looks like it looks because of us. Who introduced sin? We did. Not God. God gave us liberty and free will. You know, I, I, I love watching Mike, you know, go through this process. Everybody, I think everybody in here knows who Mike is and knows what's going on. But <clears throat> just in talking with him and listening to him and, and, and watching how he's, you know, handled these conversations and how he seeks to represent. You know, if you go, to, if you go and you listen to Mike or you pull up videos of him speaking in, in the well at the Georgia Senate, the man's a preacher. You know what I mean? And I used to think, that, that government should be separate from faith or from religion, church. I used to think that because I didn't quite understand the whole inalienable rights are actually given by God. Nobody can take these rights away. And this Constitution and this Declaration of Independence was founded with the idea of we want to have a government that keeps the, the, this land free and safe so you can enjoy the liberties that are yours from God. You know, like you hear it said, but it clicks. Something clicked for me during this process where I realized that's what government is supposed to do, is to legislate and govern in such a way where we can enjoy the blessings of liberty from God. And you hear, you know, you especially you flip over to the more liberal uh, news stations, and what you hear is like, well, that's my faith, and that's, that doesn't have anything to do with this. It's like, no, it has everything to do with this. You know, people got in trouble. I think it was Ben Carson got in trouble for saying, no, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't want a Muslim president. I think he said Muslim extremist or something like that, you know. And then, and then all the accusations come flying out about that. And it's like, no. I think we need to make a shift and realize liberty is from God. It's not a government idea. It's not something that we should expect men to give us. It's something that we should expect men to protect for us. That's why these, that's why it's important. I, you know, I, it, it's just changed. I don't know if it's, you know, I'm becoming more mature in my understanding about those kinds of things and more willing to be vocal about it, but it's, it's you know, and even when we first started, it's, I would be a little shy about maybe bringing up politics, but it's not. It's, it's, if you keep it, it's like church, right? You, if you keep it about Jesus, you can't go wrong. 
I mean, this place is this place is very much a transformation center, but we meet in the middle at Jesus, right? We've got the people that have no clue who he is, like I was, that are coming into this place and, and realizing who Jesus is. And then some of y'all that have been walking this Christian life for a very long time are kind of coming back to Jesus and realizing, oh, wow, this is, he is what it's about. I forgot what I was going to say after that. <laughs> Had some kind of really good point. Where was I going? Huh? Yeah. Period. Amen. So, you know, most of you guys have been here through this process, and, and I just wanted to kind of, because at this point where we are with this heart conversation, I mean, it very much is the undergirding of pretty much everything I'm going to teach. That is to get you anchored in your identity of who you are in Christ, what he's done for you, get you to, to you know, set this, the, the tone of this environment where we're thinking spiritually, not mystically waiting for phenomenal, spectacular things to happen, although we want incredible things to happen. We want the supernatural rampant through this place, but not m making our Christianity about the spectacular. You know what I'm saying? And rooting you in what Jesus has done for you. But there's an experiential element that the church leaves out, that religion leaves out, that, that leaves Christianity stale, right? It leaves us church hopping, or it, it leaves us, you know, maybe you just kind of settle into this is, as, this is about as good as it gets. I think I understand. I've heard all those sermons before. I've read the Bible. You know, you just, it, it, becomes, it becomes not alive to you. It's not something that's like, daily, you know, fresh for you. It's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I've got this life to live now. You know, it's like it's a box that we've checked sometimes. And it's like, no, it is our very identity. It is our very core. It's not something that we just do. It's not something that we're trying to learn. It is, it is the fabric of who and what we are on this planet. Children of God given these new hearts to experience him, his life. I mean, it's why we have kids. You know, when you start having kids, you don't, you're not going to have kids so they can work your farm and pick strawberries for you. They, <laughs> you, you know, they might end, they'll end up doing that. But the reason we have kids is because we just love them. We want them to enjoy what we can give for them. And I'm telling you, I've never met one parent that didn't say something like this. I want my kids to have better than what I had. Do you, I mean, honestly, those of you that are parents, don't you feel that way? I mean, you don't want your kids to have the struggles that you had, right? You want to protect your kids from making the mistakes that you made and, and from falling into the pitfalls. And you want to, I mean, you know, Sarah and I went through this thing where it's like, basically, all I'm doing now for my future is planning for their future, just to set them at a place where they just don't have to worry about certain things and try to build within them an expectation that God is with them, you know. That's our God. But it all happens at a heart level for us. So, you know, I want it to just be beyond information. I want it to just be beyond, oh, I didn't know that before. That's really good, very good sermon, good job. 
you know, I don't, I mean, I like to hear those kinds of things, certainly, but more than anything, I like to hear what, like Paul said, I just don't worry about bad things anymore. I'm not questioning if it's God doing this to me or making this happen. What would it be like for you if something really bad happened and you didn't wonder what you did wrong to make it happen? Some of y'all don't struggle with that, but some of you do. It's a big transition, and it's possible. He walked right through it. I love that. That's one of my favorite kind of testimonies, that at a heart level, the way that I see God has changed, and it's caused me to be able to experience him more, better, in a new way. Amen? Amen. So a lot of this heart stuff is now, it's, it's how can we experience, you know? I mean, after this series, I'll probably go into a series maybe where we I just kind of lay out some of the tenets of the new covenant and, you know, do some teaching. I love to do that. But, but I want us, especially with a group like this, there's, I don't think there's any visitors today. Most of y'all are, all of y'all come often. Let me make sure here. I'm just, I'm just going through. So it's like, how do we keep it fresh without working for it? You know, it's the same thing in marriage. I mean, you have a choice. I, I've, had, I've done marriage counseling, and I've heard this lots of times. You're sitting there, and one of, one of them says, they get to a point where they get so far down the road detached from their spouse that they end up saying something like, you know, I'm just, I'm just not sure I ever loved that person. I'm not sure I don't think I ever loved them. They start questioning and reasoning through everything. And, you know, most of the times it's like, no, you did. You did. Have you ever heard somebody tell you that? You're looking at me like, I mean, it happens. People get further, long marriages, they get further down, they're like, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't think I ever loved that person. It happens because you become so distanced and so detached and so desensitized that all you have is a, you know, a certificate in the, in the, closet, in the drawer. I don't want it to be like that for us in our relationship with our Lord, the one who breathes within us, the one who gave us his very life essence, you know, who gave us his peace, his right standing with the Father. I mean, every, it's, like, it's like you want for your children. I want them to have better than I had. You know, Jesus was like that. He said, I want them to have the best so I'm just going to go ahead and give them everything that I have. But how do we experience that? How do we live within that? It's done at a heart level and powered by his grace. And it just is. And it's a walk. It's a dance. It's a, it's a life shift that you make to walk in that. I was doing some writing this week. So I, I, basically, I just want to read to you some of these ideas and, um, you know, I'm kind of working on, a, I guess, a heart book. Religion encourages a change in behavior as proof of holiness, right? Religion is focused on the behavior. Yep. I'm not sure you're saved. Look what you did. And obviously, absolutely, our behaviors should change. Our righteousness should be evidenced in our performance, how we treat people, how we speak, you know, stuff like that. But religion makes that the focus. So grace, which is God's capacity within you. Grace is like this. It's like a dynamic 
generator within you that is producing energy that never stops. And you can tap into that energy, that righteousness, that life that is within you, that grace that's flowing from God within you, and live in that energy. You know, the picture that, Moses, that, that, that God gave Moses is the perfect picture of grace. There's a tree, a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. In other words, it wasn't burning of its own energy. Like those of you that understand physics, and we might get John to explain it a little bit better than me, but you set a piece of wood on fire, and what causes it to burn is not something imposing on that wood. I mean, if you put like gasoline or something, the gasoline would burn off. But that wood inside itself that has stored energy, and what it does is it starts to release the energy, and that's what's burning is that energy that's releasing from the piece of wood. Well, you've got a bush that's not burning of itself. In other words, it's burning on the outside. It has flame. It's engulfed in flames, but it has every bit of its own life and energy retained and restored within it, not being exhausted. That's grace, an energy that's not your own, a fire that is not consuming you, a love that never runs out. And you tap into that at a heart level through your faith, in other words, your confidence in Him. That's what, I, that's, all, that's what I want. I want to grow in my confidence in who He is. Not what I've not done or what I've done or any of that kind of stuff. I want my confidence to be rock solid in Him. So, Religion encourages a change in behavior as proof of holiness. Grace empowers a change in the desires of the heart, which drives the behavior. See, this is what we're after. You have a new heart that knows everything about God. It knows how to follow Him, and like a sheep, it knows His voice. It's just the stuff that we throw on top of it that causes us to not receive the power of it within us. So grace empowers a change in the desires of the heart, which drives behavior. If you leave out the heart, you leave out grace, and all you're left with is religion or behavior modification. It's just true. So what we're talking about is, yes, we've got a new heart that already knows how to follow God, but it does have the capacity to still believe lies. And what we want is to be just transformed at such a deep level that even your desires change. Now, I don't know if you've gone through something like this, but it's, it's, it's difficult, but you can't do it in your own strength. right? It's a paradox. What I'm talking about is going through the process of transformation, maybe in a very specific area. You know, and there's been times in my life where I've walked through different things. You know, we call them breakthroughs or we call them victories or we call them revelations or what, we call them all different kinds of things. But it's like this stuff becomes more real to you that you change. The way you think change. Your natural responses, excuse me, change. At a heart level, you begin to trust God in such a way that you did not before. And you just, you don't have to fight to have the kind of response that you want. You know, there's a dynamic that happens at a heart level where, and, and the process looks like this. 
You want to change. You want to behave differently. You want to feel differently, and you want to think differently, and you want to have different circumstances in your life, all tied to this one issue. And so you start looking at this issue, and you hate it, and you don't want it in your life, or you know it's an obstacle or whatever, and you're thinking, most people, believers, just settle with some level of that thing in their life, giving up hope because they, we've not yet really learned how to tap into that grace to fully change at a heart level what that thing is not a part of us any longer. I'm talking about the desires of your heart changing to reflect the new heart. Talking about that when you face this thing, whatever it is for you, when you, when you look at it, maybe it's, just, maybe it's just negativity or pessimism, or maybe it's substance abuse, or maybe it's something you know, really difficult like that. But you, you bump up against it and you think, okay, here I am again. The key is become aware of it. Own it, acknowledge it. You go through any program, most 12-step programs, is you got to admit you got a problem. You have to own it. We have to own our negativity, our doubt, our faith. I don't mean embrace it. I mean just recognize it. Don't be in denial that you don't have this in your life. But when you start trying to battle it, it's not about how can you exert energy of yourself to produce the change. It's how, how can I internally, when I face this thing, trust the Lord for grace and walk in his power so that I don't run the same path that I used to. Now, it's a very basic and simple idea, and people preach it all the time, but to actually tap into the capacity to walk that different path, it's a different process altogether. And when you recognize, I don't know if, you've, I don't know if you are, have been this aware of walking through transformation in specific areas, but as you become aware, you notice it. You notice when you're leaning on God, and you notice when you're in your own strength. And it's a choice that you make. It's a choice that you make in your soul to trust him or to be influenced by the world. Most of us think when we're at that point of struggle that that's our, that we're, oh, here I am again. I'm going to fail again. No, you recognize that is an opportunity to experience a power like you've never experienced before but there's that battle. It's a paradox. There's a battle to rest. And the battle is, am, can I let go of my carnal thinking? Can I let go of what I normally do in my flesh and let God flow through me in this area? And it's a struggle, you know? You can't really, I can't really put words to it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You feel it. In many areas, and I'm telling you, one after another, if you learn how to make yourself dependent on the Lord's grace within you, you just change victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. And it's incredibly satisfying to walk through it. <clears throat> the heart craves what it thinks it needs to survive. The flesh seeks to survive without God. The flesh isn't concerned with truth, only satisfaction, which can masquerade as peace. 
The heart or the real you knows there is a truth. That's why it seeks to make sense of things it knows to be wrong or has been promised by God. If it's not in your life, we'll seek a justification, often putting blame on God. So all of that kind of saying, your heart knows there's a truth. Like when you're in your mind, you're in your intellect, you don't really care what the truth is. You're just going by emotion. You just want some sadness. You just want some relief. But when you're dealing with something where your identity is attached to it, like the, the thing that I've seen lately commonly is, is people wanting a mate, seeking a spouse, and it not maybe going the way that they want it to go. And they question themselves because that's a big identity one. Who am I? What's my life going to look like? They start to question because they know there's a truth. They know that God has somebody for them. They, because, because it's not external yet, they start to question their identity, and then it gets shifted over to God. Well, if God can do this, then why doesn't he just do it? Or it's the same way with healing or provision or whatever. All of those things that we know, our heart knows. Believers absolutely know that you should be experiencing provision from your Lord, and when you don't see it, because it knows that you should depending on how carnal you let yourself go, you'll start to judge God's character rather than saying, no, I'm not going to be distracted by the circumstance. I'm not going to be distracted by the emotion in this situation. I am going to choose grace. I am going to choose to trust. In this moment, I'm, this battle is happening within me. I'm turning toward him because I know that his spirit is in me and will not give up on me. Those, it's why we go through such a struggle, because we want to experience God. But we don't know how sometimes because we're so conditioned to self-reliance or to judge God through circumstance. So then you start dealing with other people, right? And this is always the question where it goes to. Okay, well, I'm doing this process, but what about this person? What can I do to make them change their heart? <laughs> that question comes up a lot. To change someone, you have to change their heart. A heart only changes by choice. The only power, right, or avenue we have to a heart, someone else's heart, is love. The only power, the only right you have over someone else is to love them. You have the right to love them. You have the legal avenue to love them as commanded by Jesus. Nothing else. But we know, let me just read this to you, and I'll jump back in the middle of this. And this is Ephesians 3. If you would put this up, I know I didn't give them the scriptures ahead of time back there. I'm in the NIV on this one. And I think I read this, uh, we're going to start in 316. But I think I, this, is, this is like week 8 in this series, but I think we've had two weeks in the middle there where we kind of varied off into something else. So, you know, we've been on this subject for a while, but going back to this passage here, talking about you, if you want to see a heart change in someone else, the only power that you have is to co-labor with God and love that person because what you're about to see here, it is, it's the 
the power that God uses himself to make people whole, to change them at a heart level, is his love. All right, Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is the best functional description of what grace is. You know, we think of grace as, well, just God's just giving you some favor or he's, you, you've sinned, but he's going to give you some grace and excuse it or forgive you. You know, that, that's not grace. Grace doesn't leave you in a situation where you need forgiveness or mercy. Grace empowers you so that you walk triumphantly and righteously through the process. Next verse so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the reason God wants to strengthen you in your inner man is so that Christ will dwell in your heart. Believers have been joined to Christ in spirit, but it's a choice to let him influence your heart. And, and I pray that you being rooted and established, so this is where we're going, after you're strengthened by God, you allow Christ to dwell in your heart, that should produce this, that I pray that you being rooted and established in his love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I want you to understand that love, to know this love that is better than knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. In other words, become whole. It's you letting God strengthen and empower you in your inner man so that Christ dwells in your heart. In other words, the power of God is influencing where you choose and make choices and believe from. And that puts you in a place where you're rooted in his love and that love makes you whole. The areas where you're still struggling are the areas that you are not experiencing the love of God. The areas where you are broken and not whole are the areas that you are not experiencing the love of God because His love makes you whole. You see that? So when it comes to other people, the only thing you can do is love them because, let me, let me just read this. To change someone, you have to change their heart. A heart only changes by choice. The only power, right, or avenue we have to a heart is love. If someone can receive love from us, they can become receptive to God's love, which is the only power that can actually change the leopard's spots, where you become different. You think differently. You naturally choose something else. Acts of love, service, and unity are like chisels at a hard heart, eventually there's a breakthrough, they begin to seek God. If you inspire true liberty, in other words, you set people free, the only thing you go at them with is love. You're not coming at them with your expectations. You're not coming at them with pointing out their sin. You're not coming at them with telling them they need to turn or burn. Even though there's lots of truths that are out there that do apply to those people, the only way to affect them is with love. You inspire true liberty. I, this is, you know, this is, yeah, 
trust me, you want me to cut my own grass. Because I'm out there, and I'm stopping, and I'm having to run, and, you know, I'm writing this. This is God. I really feel like this is, this is, these are God's ideas. I'm not taking credit for this. It's pretty good. I'm going to put it in a book, but, you know. If you inspire true liberty, people will follow God from the heart. You set people free, free from the fear of God, free from religion, free from themselves. The natural response is going to be for people to choose God. When a nation of people follow God from the heart, righteousness, peace, and joy will prevail. So to inspire true liberty, what is liberty? Liberty is taking ownership of and responsibility for this freedom. This is what we want. We want people so free that they take responsibility for their accountability to God. A lot of people are looking for an excuse to not be accountable to God. You set people free, it puts them in the environment where they want to take responsibility for the freedom that God has given them. So true liberty is taking ownership of and responsibility for our freedom seeking to protect others' freedom and making choices for the betterment of ourselves and everyone else equally. Now, I'll post this and, uh, on my blog, and we'll send it out in an email and all that so you can go back and reread some of that stuff. But I want to end on this. This is Psalm 37.4. You can look at that, Psalm 37.4. I don't remember if we downloaded the ESV or not, Nathan. If not, actually, just put up the, uh, the King James. But let me read through this. This is Psalm 37.4. And I'll give you some definitions as we go. Most of you know it. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The word delight is a verb. It's the Hebrew word anag, A-N-A-G. And it means to be soft and pliable, or to be happy about. So you are to be soft and pliable and happy in the Lord, in his hands. You are to make yourself influenced, or what is it? Able to be influenced. Make yourself open to him. You know, it's like, these are basic things, and we should know these things, but do we really do it when we're facing difficulty? You know, we're so hard, and we're so f- trying to survive, and we're so trying to have, you know, have the things in our life that we know that God wants for us and, or that we think we want and we're craving, and our heart craves what we need to survive that oftentimes we become so rigid that we don't stop and, and just make ourselves soft to the Lord because we don't trust that he has our best interests at heart and we don't have the track record of depending on him, and then, it, then our lives changing as a result of his influence. We've had too many disappointments of when we think that we trusted God and it didn't work out. Am I telling you the truth? Mm-hmm. Delight, make yourself, make yourself soft in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The word give there is put or set. 
but it also means bestow. You know, you've heard two sides of the coin, right? I've heard this, this particular passage teach, taught. Is it, is it that he, he's the one that originates the desire, or is he the one that provides the provision for what it is that you're desiring? It's interesting, that definition of give is both. In other words, he puts the desire in there, and he grants you what it is that you're desiring. But see, he's not in control of your heart. You are. God's not in control of your choices and your desires. You are. But what can happen is if you make yourself soft and pliable and, pl and, and pleasured in God, is that the desires at the deepest part of who you are begin to change. You cannot make that happen. A leopard cannot change his own spots. But God can change you. God can transform you by his grace in your inner man. If you crack your, one of these definitions of set your affections on things above, it's talking about cracking your heart open to him. Being just total, you know, I, I understand the word desperate. I hear some of those, I'm so desperate for you, God. It's like, oh, okay. But to have absolute dependence on him. But there's no desperation because he's not far from you. Anyway, that's, that's my own thing there. But Verse 5 in Psalm 37, the word commit is interesting. It means roll on to. You know, if you feel like you can't stand, you just roll on over onto them, you know. Commit your way. Now, see, we hear these kinds of things and we think, I've got to change my behavior. I've got to change my performance. I've got to get better at being a Christian. I've got to commit my ways to the Lord. I've got to do it right. You ever felt that way? He's talking about you make yourself pliable and you roll your cares onto him. Commit your way. And it does mean path, but it also means moral character and manner unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring it to pass. He who began a good work shall complete it. But it's a paradox because you ultimately are in control if you're going to let him do it. He is as sovereign as you'll let him be. Because we pray, God, just change me. He's like, well, would you let me? Would you trust me? And my power will make the transformation. You know, it's, it's like... You got to get down with that razor, I think, and get down to the dynamics of how the heart works and the dominion that we have as humans to realize you have to let yourself be molded and shaped. You know, I'm about ready to have Austin preach on being a potter. You know, he's a potter. You guys seen his stuff on Facebook? He's posting beautiful looking pottery. But I want to go over there and sit on that because I know that when I start working with that clay, and I hope he doesn't get mad at me because of how bad I am that God's going to speak to me about clay in the hands of the potter, you know. But I'm sure you got a message, probably a few about that. But that, that's, that's, that's the process. It's like, can you make yourself soft in his hands? You can't make yourself change. He's not going to make you change, but can you co-labor with him in trust so that you experience his transformative power? Most of us just give up. We just settle. It's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven, but you know, I don't. No, it, it, 
we can't, the, the world, the world is desperate. The world is desperate to see us living under the grace of God. They need it. It's their only hope is for us to walk in his power and show them that love. Verse 6, And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light. He will bring out your righteousness. This is the fruit of you committing your way to him, delighting yourself in him. He will bring out the righteousness as light and your judgment as the noonday. We hear judgment, we just flip out. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to hell. Now, judgment is mean how he looks at you and how he determines who you are and what you are. See, we know that, that we can be confident in the day of judgment. This is 1 John 4, 17, I think it is. Because as he is, so are we in this world. We can be confident in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, when you stand before the Father at the resurrection, you will be treated like Jesus. Amen? That's the judgment you're going to get because he's already been judged in your behalf hanging on that cross. Man, I'm telling you, that is good news. The world needs to hear that. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. Do you know how to do that? Yeah, right? That's right. We try. We try. Stop trying. Just do it. <laughs> you know what I mean. Rest. Rest in the Lord. It's everywhere. And, and wait patiently for him. Patience is not looking at the clock, worrying, wondering when it's going to show up. Patience is confident rest. Patience is being able to withstand without wavering. Trust without doubting. That's patience. Patience says, you know, like, patience is this. You absolutely know that that sun's going down tonight and it's coming up tomorrow morning. Yeah, you might have some hours in between now and then when it's going to happen, but you do not doubt that it's going to happen. That's patience. Your God is more faithful than that son out there. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. You know, David's complaining. He's like, look at these bunch of sinners out there. God, they've got it better than I do, and I'm trying to follow you. What's up with that? You ever felt like that? And then David prophesies to himself all the time. This is what's happening here. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, he says, you know. That's, that's him prophesying to himself. That's what we got to get better at, is, is yanking our doubt, you know, snatch ourselves up by the neck and saying, what are you doing? You need to delight yourself in the Lord. Bless the Lord. Worship the Lord your God. Put yourself in a situation where you're soft and pliable to him. Or you can just continue having what you got in your life and have more of it now. Yeah. Because your God is faithful. And he wants to bring you into rest. He's already set you at peace with himself. 
He wants you to experience exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. He's not withholding it from you. He's not making your life difficult so that you can earn it. He's saying, please trust me. Please let me work through you so that you can experience the fruit of who I am in you. That's what I want. And then you, and then you change at such a deep level that you never knew was possible. You could think differently and feel differently and trust him at a deeper level and, and just walk through life carefree, at peace. Thank you, Father. God, we make ourselves teachable right now in this moment. We, take a, we just take a moment to delight ourselves in you, to be happy that we're in your family, to be soft towards you, because I trust that you have good plans for each and every one of us, and your favor is going before us, and your spirit is going before us, saying, come on, come this way. I have a blessing for you here. Follow me. Don't give up. Don't become discouraged. Keep walking. Trust in me. Keep taking those steps. Keep taking those steps, and you will walk right into the life that I have for you. Just follow me. Just trust. Just walk with me. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.